resorts, homes and the newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. We need to be prepared for the future. I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? And make sure everyone's safety comes first. Save what for dream. You must ready. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. Eventually, I know it's going to hit. It's only a matter of time. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Bula and welcome to Pacific Prepared. I'm Josiah Nanunga. And I'm Fred Hooper. Coming to you from Fiji for the next little while. And in fact, at the moment, the Asawa Islands, off the northwest coast of the main island of Fiji. As always, we'll be bringing you stories from right across the Pacific that could help you, your family and your community prepare for natural disasters, but with a little extra focus on Fiji. The weather and how it affects you is already part of your life, so let's keep talking about being prepared. On today's show, we'll hear what the first steps are when a disaster strikes. We spoke with the Deputy Northern Divisional Planning Officer to give us an insight into exactly how that works. Also, is traditional knowledge about natural disasters still relevant? Our PNG reporter discusses how one village is feeling about this right now. And... If you are in Tonga, you might have noticed the extreme high tides recently. We've got some more information on the impact they had and how we can better prepare for them. This is Pacific Prepared. What's your plan? Are you ready to leave your home? Plan now before disaster strikes. Pacific Prepared. Before you hear about a natural disaster... There would have been a lot of discussions and decisions made to get to the point of letting everyone know about it. The divisional planning officers make the decisions around which emergency operating centre needs to be notified and that sets the wheels in motion for the response to natural disasters. We spoke with the Northern Division planning officer to get a better idea of how that actually works in practice. My name is uh, Setereki Ndakwimbola. Currently, I'm the Divisional Planning Officer at Northern, uh, second to the Commissioner Northern Division, uh, based in uh, Lombasa. When something happens, where does it all start? What happens? What's the first thing that happens? Do you get in touch with the NDMO uh, and then trigger something in a a different location? How does it actually work practically? Well, for for the division, we work under the NDMO Act. uh, that is uh, currently available now. Once the disaster is declared uh, by government through the NDMO, directive NDMO, then to the divisional commissioners, then we act upon those uh, declarations and uh, we activate our emergency operations on the ground. Uh, we have uh, altogether a total of 10 EOC across the division uh, uh, serving those uh, 10 uh, uh, EOCs, our district officers and uh, provincial administrators that man the officers. So under the Act, uh, we have uh, our divisional uh, commissioner as a commander uh, during disaster. And, uh, and also we have our district officers on the ground that uh, activates those EOC and uh, every stakeholder they report to their respective uh, emergency operation centres. 
Okay, emergency operating centre. So when the when the order comes through to them, what are they actually going to do then? Are they uh, are they told okay, this village needs X, Y, Z, or do they go there and, and figure out what they, that village then needs? Or the the EOC they are operated by our district offices and our provincial administrators, eh? and also they, we have uh, stakeholders that are all always there. And uh, with these stakeholders, we we have Red Cross as well that are mobilized on the ground. And uh, the informations, uh, their, their mobilization is determined by the information uh, uh, given from uh, our NDMO, uh, the direction of the cyclone where it's heading to. And those are critical informations that uh, we need. And uh, those information will determine how well we mobilize our, our team on the ground. So prior to, for example, I mean, obviously things that can be predicted, such as cyclones, you're going into communities first and trying to either to tell people or to evacuate is that is that generally how it goes yes uh, we have our our team from ndmo that uh, recently they did these uh, it's a text um, yeah information uh, text messages that have been sent to the public we use a radio as well uh, to inform uh, the public and also we do work with the turangani corp we've got a good networks with our village headmen and also our district advisory councillors, which looks after the settlements. Eh? So we, we, we have their contacts, and uh, that, that through that networks, uh, we, we allow informations to go to them as soon as possible. Is, is going through or via the village headman a very um, powerful way of doing it? Is that kind of like the ultimate message for a community or for a village? Yeah, we, we can say that. Uh, also, social media plays a very critical part in terms of information. And uh, again, information is power. And uh, how well we send the inf- information fast to the community uh, to to avoid uh, further disruptions, eh? especially death and those kind of uh, scenarios on the ground. So we use uh, any kind of uh, media as long as the information, correct information, is uh, trickled down to the community. How often are you meeting with the NDMO? Because I know you, you were with them this morning when we came in. How often do you, are you having those kind of conversations with them or, or chats with those guys? Uh, NDMO, it's, it's under the same ministry. Uh, we usually have our monthly meeting uh, through our senior management board meetings. Uh, you know, we also have our, our routine uh, meetings like uh, quarterly meetings uh, whereby they come around and do checks. And also they allow us to attend trainings uh, like emergency operation uh, centers training, and uh, yeah, we, we usually meet uh, routines and also we exchange uh, uh, trails of emails in terms of keeping that communication line uh, uh, alive all the time. What were some of the things that you were talking about this morning, for example? What's what's the latest update from the NDMO f- from your point of view? Uh, throughout this week, uh, they are now moving around the communities, uh, especially our EOC, uh, ten uh, emergency operation centers in the in the north. Uh, doing uh, readiness check, preparedness, and also stock taking of our main uh, main uh, bulk store here in the, the north, which is located in Lambasa. Uh, they'll be flying off uh, back to Suva tomorrow. So these are normal routine that they do in terms of the preparation for the next cyclone season, which starts in November this year. And and how have things changed in terms of disaster preparedness from your point of view across Fiji over the last sort of five to ten years and particularly since Cyclone Winston I feel like that was a, a big instigator of a lot of change for um, disaster preparedness. Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of things have changed because of the uh, magnitude of the cyclone have changed as well eh? uh, from Cyclone Winston 
uh, last two years we've experienced Cyclone uh, Yasa and Anna, uh, which uh, you know brings about uh, uh, most of the challenges within the communities that we serve. Now, one of the witnesses uh, that we've uh, one of one of two of the communities that we've witnessed now uh, uh, devastating from uh, the is So it has changed over the years and uh, our preparedness too have, have changed. Uh, that's why we're having um, uh, more contact with the NDMO uh, coming on board. We're so also thankful to the our counterparts uh, like uh, uh, New Zealand and also Australia, uh, Japan for coming on board and assisting us with equipments. Uh, and also refurbishing our warehouse in terms of our storage areas. And uh, since uh, the magnitude of the cyclones and uh, disasters change, our preparedness too, and also our, our partner counterparts, uh, countries have also come on board to, to assist us more. We noticed driving around yesterday that there was a school that was being rebuilt as well. Do we know where the, the status of that is at the moment and whether it's close to completion? Yes, for the, uh, probably that's, that's for Lekutu uh, Secondary in Mbua. In the province of Mbua, yes, it's, it's coming to a completion. Uh, thanking the government of uh, Australia uh, for coming on board to assist uh, our vulnerable communities. Uh, uh, as we all know, during this year, Senana, Mbua was heavily affected by a cyclone, and that's one of the the schools has been affected. It is coming to a completion soon. Uh, I can I can't even tell you the, the time or the date of uh, the commissioning, but uh, yes, uh, can we can assure you that it's coming to a completion. Eh? Deputy Divisional Planning Officer for the Northern Division, Setarekin Dakwimboda, explaining what actually happens when a disaster hits and how the division starts the process to help and assist people on the ground. Be informed. Be ready. Pacific prepared. Fred, I wonder, I wonder what role traditional knowledge plays today. Is it still relevant or... Uh, have new ways of uh, detecting a natural disaster taken over? This is exactly what our reporter, Diane Waketsi in Papua New Guinea, has been discussing with a local member of the community and, and finding out more about how her family has been using traditional knowledge for many years now. Emma Siwani comes from a long line of women chiefs. She explains that her grandmother was a chief and ensured that knowledge gained was important for the betterment of its cultural survival and the survival of the family or clan. But sadly, most of this important traditional knowledge that had guided their existence is slowly dying out. Emma tells me that there are many reasons why this is so. In this story, she takes us through her journey and explains why she thinks this important culture is being threatened and why it is important to preserve it. As a girl, I was taught by my father as he was taught by his father that impending disasters were predicted through different weather patterns and through signs like the movement of insects and birds. Emma said in the past, elders in her village were able to interpret messages from nature and they were able to predict natural disasters, thus they were prepared. 
In the past, with the knowledge gained to prepare for disasters or bad weather, we would come together to make two or three big gardens planting root vegetables that are fast growing. And then these vegetables would be stored in storage huts close to our villages. The storage huts were made from sago palm trees without windows and could store root crops from up to six, six months to a year. During that year, if we are unable to plant due to lawn spells or dry or wet season, villagers depended on these storage huts for their survival. Emma has witnessed how this traditional knowledge has enabled them to survive for generations and she thinks it's important that this knowledge is passed on for the future generation. Today, that old knowledge is fast dying out. Villagers and the younger generation are not making gardens like the olden days and their interest in learning the old teachings is non-existent. We, we've become too busy on selling goods and services at the main markets and rice has become the staple food in our many homes. Money has become our driving force of survival today. While Emma is optimistic about the future, she has reservations too. She thinks the younger generations are preoccupied with introduced ideas and knowledge, and she is concerned that this important traditional knowledge may be lost. Um, Growing up, I witnessed how effective my father's teachings were. Today, however, the new generation is too busy with the white man's ways. Westernization has brought with it many new ideas and new teachings. This saddens me, as I see the ways of our forefathers is dying out. The ways of the past was good, because it assisted us to be prepared in advance for, for good or bad weather. I believe that this knowledge should be passed down to the younger generation so that they too can be able to predict the weather and also be prepared for the next natural disaster. PNG Pacific Prepared Reporter Diana Wakatsi discussing the role of traditional knowledge in the Pacific today. It was a terrifying night. Everything was shaking and getting pounded by debris. We had to make sure that they have a safe shelter and drinking water. Helping you stay safe, Pacific prepared. Joe, while we've been in the Sawa Islands, we've met somebody who I think has probably got one of the best jobs in the world. He gets mm. to come out here every week. Exactly. As part of his job. Mm. Who have we met? Uh, Fred, uh, his name is Nemani Tartar. Uh, he is uh, currently the assistant Rokutui. Uh, that's uh, uh, that looks after the the Asawa area. And basically, yeah, he has to come into communities, act as a, an official within the community, while also integrating himself into the community and making and helping them to make decisions as well. Yes, he will come and meet with uh, the village heads, 
members of the community talking he'll collate all the issues that uh, the villages face or uh, encounter on a daily basis let's have a quick listen to what he had to say uh, currently we are in uh, Nambukiru village which is located in the upper south region uh, it's the first village that you come across when you're traveling the upper south region uh, it's in the northern uh, part of Esawa. Esa group lies in the western side of Fiji. It's the last group of islands before you exit uh, Fiji. So it's like we're sitting at the border of the western side of Fiji. What's your role? What's your remit as uh, in your role at the moment? What do you do here? Uh, my role is that uh, I work under the provincial office, which is Mba Provincial Office, which comes under the it comes under Itoke FS board. Uh, Itoke FS board is a is a government body that uh, looks after indigenous group of Fiji. So my role uh, mainly consists of looking after uh, the communities. Uh, when I talk about communities, those that are staying in villages. I'm the point of entry if they want to have discussions regarding anything on land any title disputes, uh, any development that needs to take place uh, in the village, any investors that want to come and negotiate with the locals, I'll have to be there on behalf of the locals, uh, representing them in discussions uh, before things started to work out. So currently I'm looking after 27 villages, and there are five districts in the whole SR group of islands. My role is something like a marginal man, I'm a half modern and a half traditional as well. So, in terms of uh, the resilience, eh? uh, I believe you've been working with uh, uh, the community for the past uh, few years, and uh, the group the group is uh, uh, sits along the one of the like a cyclone uh, path. Uh, how do you see the the level of resilience after a disaster from villages? I've been uh, holding this post for the last four years. Eh? Talking about resilience, uh, I learned a lot from uh, the people of Esawa, especially those in the the northern part of Esawa. Eh? Uh, being resilient, that, uh, like what was said yesterday with uh, our village admin, eh? they are used to cyclone. Eh? Uh, when they were young, they have been hearing about cyclones from their grandparents, from their parents. Uh, it comes to them now, most of them know what to do when it comes to cyclone. Uh, now they have opted to to, to look into uh, other ways of being resilient. Uh, uh, and now they are resorting back to the traditional way of being resilient, like planting for crops that will be matured during cyclone seasons. Uh, now they are coming up with good housing infrastructures in the villages. It's always funny. Uh, we came in for initial damage assessment to come and uh, do uh, detailed damage assessment on cyclones. And when we sit down for lunch with the, the communities, we can see that they're still eating root crops, they're still eating fish, straight after having a cyclone. So they are, they are resilient. Well, I'm sure we'll talk to you again, but thank you for the update on the Asawa so far. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you as well. That was Nemani Tarutaru, the assistant Rokutui for the Sawa area under the Mba Provincial Council Office, uh, talking about uh, his role, his key duties, uh, serving the different islands in the, in the Sawa group uh, that's located uh, towards the northwest uh, of Fiji.
being prepared is to save lives, to save properties, helping you stay safe. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. If you are in Tonga, you might have seen some extremely high tides recently, and there was a number of reasons for this. Pacific prepared reporter Anasiu Falacono found out what kind of damage was caused and how people might be able to prepare for them in the future. Being prepared at all times is key. The Friendly Islands last week experienced extreme high tide events and some areas, especially the coastal areas, were affected. I am here with the Director of Tonga Meteorological Services, Ofa Fa'anunu. It's good to have you again, Ofa, on Pacific Prepared. And could you kindly explain the event that happened last week? I understand that extreme high tide events were even recorded on the far northern islands of Tonga. Uh, every time uh, we experience uh, a full moon, uh, naturally because of the pull of gravity, the, the sea sea level is uh, higher than than usual. We have a, a higher high tide. So so every time uh, when this time comes around each month, we we look out for for elevated uh, high tide. Uh, extra high tide was expected. And also, uh, there were large uh, three-meter swells, three to four-meter swells that were two days away uh, from coming from, from the south, from uh, from New Zealand. We were tracking it uh, the two days before the event. And uh, when these uh, sw- large swells uh, are superimposed on, on uh, elevated tides, it uh, makes the the situation worse in terms of the effects on the, on the coastline. A lot of the, the low-lying uh, coastal islands in Tonga and and it was also uh, experienced in, in Fiji. It happened for two days and the islands that were affected that we received reports from uh, were Tonga uh, Tatu and Ewa a uh, little bit in Hapai, and, and it reached uh, near Tokapu as well in the north. What were the damages recorded? Not much damage reported, but the, the, the waves, for example, in, in near Tokapu, uh, the waves uh, reached the, the runway of the... I mean, uh, it crossed, uh, you know, the road going to, to, uh, to the airport in near Tokapu. The, the waves uh, crossed uh, the road and to the, to the side of the... The runway. It points out the the significance of of being prepared when these things happen. Uh, if it happens during time where people are congregated in some place, uh, if we are not prepared, uh, it could uh, catch us by surprise. Eh? As mentioned earlier, being prepared is key. How should people living on low-lying areas or the most vulnerable areas be more prepared for extreme high tide events in the future? And we're expecting uh, closer to the full moon to for the public to to just keep in mind that uh, there's going to be a, a higher than normal high tide. Try and listen in to, to the forecast if there are any warnings. 
because uh, the situation now uh, with climate change and global warming, uh, the sea level is, uh, of course, rising. And although uh, the, the full effects of, uh, of climate change uh, on, on the sea level has not uh, been fully rectified, but we know that the trends of the sea levels are rising. Um, although uh, from year to year it's, it's different, but in general, in in our area, sea levels have have risen by almost a foot in over the last thirty uh, years. So, what is needed to improve warnings issued from the Tonga Meteorological Services to the public? Every time these these things happen, uh, it's it's very difficult for us to rectify or to say for certain how high the, the waves will be or uh, how far inland the waves will, will travel. But, uh, we're, we're still working on, on, on that. Uh, it requires uh, more sophisticated uh, measuring uh, equipment, which uh, we do not have at the moment, but uh, looking forward for global initiatives that are now out there for assisting developing countries uh, to put in better monitoring uh, equipment in these uh, vulnerable places. We should be able in the, in the future to provide uh, more detail. But at, at the moment, uh, what we are able to do is to identify the high-risk areas and to identify areas where, where warnings uh, should be given based on uh, some observations and modeling that have, have been done uh, both from the global models and in a more more local uh, scale uh, modeling that we do ourselves. It's it's it's, a, it's very important for 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 the public to take heed of the warnings, especially the warnings out for for ocean or for water. It's it's well documented uh, that uh, whenever water is is uh, involved in in any disaster it's a uh, significant and the loss of life in water related disasters is uh, much much higher than than uh, other disasters i'm talking about flooding and storm surges and tsunami a water based uh, disasters that uh, that happened this event uh, is a reminder to, to all of us uh, uh, these things do happen and, and it can happen at uh, any time. Uh, there's no other way of preparing yourself for for these events, especially for those people living on the coast. There's no other way but uh, but getting the information and uh, receiving the information uh, from the Met Service or weather authority. You'll be able to to prepare yourselves uh, for for what lies ahead. Thank you, Arthur, for your time, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. The Director of Tonga Meteorological Services, Arthur Fa'anono. Pacific Prepared Reporter Anusio Falekono, reporting from Tonga. Plan now before disaster strikes. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme, with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. 
It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP, and TBC Tonga. A huge thank you to Nambukero Village for having us this week in the Isawa Islands as well. It's been a real honour to come into the village and be able to uh, to chat to some of the community members about disaster preparedness this week. My name is Fred Hooper. And I'm Josiah Nanunga. Please share any information you've learned today and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared.